The Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast is with you to talk through what you're watching, listening to, and reading. What you need to check out this weekend, what you can skip next, it's all fair game. For pop culture in high spirits, listen to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR. From KMUW Studios and part of the NPR Podcast Network, this is Books and Whatnot. I'm Beth Golay, host of KMUW's Marginalia Podcast. And I'm Suzanne Perez, KMUW's resident book reviewer. This episode was recorded on June 29th, 2023. Any references to new or forthcoming and the like are relative. Okay, Suzanne, I know you are champing at the bit to talk about your books, but before we get started, I have just a couple of announcements, if okay. that's okay. Yeah, sure. First, we received a notification from Stitcher this week. They are discontinuing their app and their website. So if you happen to listen to books and whatnot through Stitcher, just know that at the end of July, I believe it is, it will no longer be there. You will not be able to go find your episodes or anything from what I can understand. So, you know, this might be the good time, a good time to find a different podcast platform, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google, um, we're even available through Audible, or just go to kmuw.org and you can kind of see all of the different ways. Right. There are numerous other ways to uh, get to this podcast, but no, that's a nice reminder. I didn't realize that was happening. I didn't either. Yeah. I received the email. And then also we want to thank Linda Card, because she provided the art for this episode in her shelfie. Oh, another shelfie from a listener. I love it. Where is she from? She is from Whitehall, New York. Oh, my goodness. Yes. We just have listeners all over the place. Isn't that wonderful? It is. Thank you, Linda. Thank you, Linda. And if you would like to send us your shelfie, we would love it. Um, Send it to podcasts. Plural. (laughs) At kmuw.org. Yay. Okay. All right. Well, let's get started, Beth. What have you been reading lately? Well, one of the books that I would like to talk about first is a book called My Murder by Katie Williams. This is my second time speaking with Katie Williams. Her first book was called Tell the Machine Goodnight. Mm. And her books are speculative fiction set in the not so... I mean, it's the future, and it's it's like just around the corner. Like everything she talks about technology-wise and invention-wise is completely plausible. So uh, that's you know I love these. Yeah. And so My Murder is about a woman named Lou, and she is the victim of a serial killer. But because this is the not-so-distant future, she is able to be brought back to life through cloning. The government decides that all of these victims should be brought back to life. If you're murdered, they don't automatically grant you access to be cloned. But for this instance, since there were five victims, they just wanted to be able to bring them back to life. And especially this woman, she has a little girl. I mean, her she had a baby who, when she was murdered. She was just out for a jog and was murdered. And so the thing is, they have this support group. So all of these cloned victims get together because none of them actually feel like themselves. They can remember their lives up until a certain point. And so they none of them remembered the time that they were actually murdered. Anyway, it's it was just a really fascinating and satisfying read. Kind of a mystery then? It was a mystery, but it was a literary mystery. Very cool. Well, that sounds right up my alley. I love that sort of... Would you give it sort of a... Have you watched Black Mirror? 
I have not. I, they, when you were describing it, it sort of sounds very Black Mirror-y to okay. me. So that's a good thing in my eyes. Yeah, so that's My Murder by Katie Williams. All right. Well, my first read uh, this time is Chain Gang All-Stars by Nana Kwame Ajebrenya. So uh, my review of this book is on kmuw.org. Ajay Brenya's previous short story collection was called Friday Black. It came out a couple years ago to rave reviews. There were several stories from that collection that I remember still vividly. And, you know, that's kind of sometimes hard with a story, short story collection to sort of have that memory. They were that moving and intense. Well, this is uh, his first full-length novel, and it's kind of a Hunger Games or Gladiator meets Orange is the New Black. And I say that because it also is set in the not-too-distant future. Hmm. We have a theme going on here today, it seems. So basically, the prison system in the United States has been privatized, and prisoners are able to opt out of long-term sentences by participating in death matches. So this is like fights to the death. They are assigned certain weapons. Uh, so anyway, the, the novel focuses on two main characters, Loretta Thurwar and Hamara Hurricane Stacks Stacker. And these are two women that are fighting for their freedom. They also have a relationship. So it's a little bit of a, a LGBTQ story as well. You follow them through all of the intense battles leading up to you know, the main event. But they're also in these so-called chain gangs, and those inmates become kind of a family on their own. So you see them going through that journey. It's a violent, violent novel. It is not for the squeamish, I will say. Very much like Friday Black, uh, Ajay Brenya's previous collection. But this one, it's definitely vicious, but it also shows sort of the hope and it highlights the inequities of the prison system, and it, it sort of highlights people's will to survive. I will say that this novel was particularly appealing to me because the secondary characters are every bit as interesting and important to the plot as the main characters, including this scientist who ends up accidentally inventing what's then used as a torture device, very Oppenheimer-like. Anyway, this was a fantastic read, wonderful summer read, very difficult, but ended up being very glad I read it. And that was Chain Gang All-Stars by Nana Kwame Ajebrenya. Okay, so my next book is, it's called George, a Magpie Memoir by Frida Hughes. This book is set in in Wales, where Frida Hughes has found what she believes is her forever home. We first are introduced to Frida because we learn how she longs to, like, set down roots. And so she becomes this fascinating gardener because she just really wants a home where she can plant something and establish roots because her father moved her around so often when she was younger. And you'll understand this when I tell you that Frida Hughes is the daughter of Sylvia Plath and Ted Hughes. And so she really just had to move around. They would go from family friend to family friend to relative. She did spend a few years in Australia, very happy. But then she moved back to Wales when her father was dying. And then she ended up staying there because that's where she's also a writer and a painter. And that's where her livelihood is based is in England. And so in this book, you know, she's uh, she's moved into this house in Wales. There's a lot to do to it. And there's a, a violent storm one night, and this nest is thrown out of a tree, and she finds these baby magpies. 
and one, you know, succumbs to his injuries, but then this other one, which she almost accidentally killed because she didn't see him there until he gives the squawk, and though she, like, brings him in, names him George, and then, you know, nurses him back to health, and then he just becomes her companion in this house. It's a fascinating memoir. I had no idea that magpies had such personality or would collect things. And there were, you know, there was such a mirror between her and the magpie. And it was just, it was a delightful read. Wow. It really was. I didn't even know Sylvia Plath had a daughter. <laughs> a daughter and a son. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, she had to have an interesting upbringing. Did you read H's for Hawk? I have it. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> Well, I wonder, because what is it about these bird memoirs, you know, where people, but similarly in that memoir, it's like, yeah, these hawks have personalities. And that sounds really intriguing. And you interviewed her, correct? I did. Yes. yes. So that's um, available in a Marginalia episode. By the time this podcast comes out, it should be. Because we're we're recording this. Yeah, we're recording this on June 29th, and that podcast is set to drop on July 4th. So okay. Just so a matter of not, days. Yeah, if it's not available already, you will hear it soon. Yes. I was uh, just thinking that's a good time to put in a plug for all of your marginalia interviews. <laughs> I, we were at a book club recently and talking about um, Brendan Slocum's book, Symphony of Secrets, and I kept referring to your interview with him because I think it's so telling. It's especially lovely after you read a book to then go and listen to an interview with the author. So that's just a little plug for Marginalia. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) Okay, so that is George, a magpie memoir by Frida Hughes. All right. What you got? Okay, buckle your (laughs) seatbelts, people, because I'm going to talk about The Whispers by Ashley Audrain. Oh, my. I have been looking forward to this novel ever since reading Ashley Audrain's debut novel, which was The Push. It was my very favorite book, top of the list for me in 2021. It was one of the most propulsive, twisty-turny, domestic mystery thrillers I have ever read. That one I actually read during a cross-country road trip, so it was all the more compelling to be listening to it on the road, and it just uh, kept us awake. This one is called The Whispers. Very, very similar. I wondered, you know, can Ashley Audrain, you know, recreate the magic of the push? She has done it, Beth. I loved this novel. It focuses on four families, but really four women, uh, Whitney, Blair, Rebecca, and Mara. So Whitney, the novel opens in a backyard barbecue. Well, it's a gentrified neighborhood, so it's a catered uh, backyard barbecue (laughs) at Whitney's house. Everyone's getting along splendidly, although you, you get a lot of the sort of side eyes between the women and everyone trying to size each other up. But in the very opening chapter, Whitney goes upstairs and finds her 10-year-old son has made a huge mess and definitely did not uh, follow her directions and things. She comes unglued. We see her temper in a big way. She attacks him verbally. There's a screaming match. And then we realize the window is open from that bedroom and everyone in the backyard can hear what just happened. So that sets the scene for this novel. I want to say the title, The Whispers, is so fabulous for this novel because Ashley Audrain ties this theme throughout, people whispering about mm-hmm. each other, what we whisper about, what you know, whispers versus shouts and all of that. So that was very intriguing to me. 
But best of all, this is another episode of me shutting a book. In this case, it was an ebook. <laughs> so shutting my ebook close and just going, what in the world? Oh my gosh, I was hopping around the room. This kept me glued till the very, very last sentence, the very last words. It's just that incredible. I will say, I must say, that there are some very, very difficult scenes in this book, especially surrounding pregnancy loss and fertility and things like that. So if you, you know, have issues with those sorts of triggers, be just be very warned. There's some, some painful scenes in this. Like I said, we learn about these four women and they all have their different struggles, but there are, you know, there's just drama, there's affairs, there's wondering who's sleeping with whom and uh, who's doing what. And it is the very best kind of dramatic domestic thriller. That is The Whispers by Ashley Audrain. Okay. And when is she coming out with your next one? I don't know. Not <laughs> soon enough. Okay. So my next book is, it's a thriller mystery-ish again. We really do have a theme yeah. going. This one is called The Quiet Tenant by Clemence Michelin. I can't wait to hear about this. And this is a book about, well, it's kind of a mashup of serial killer and captive. Well, let me explain. (laughs) This book is told through three perspectives, and it's about a serial killer. But we do not hear from the serial killer. We hear from the woman who wants to be his girlfriend, his 13-year-old daughter, and the one victim he let live who is locked in the garden shed behind the big house. So it is a mashup between serial killer, but then also, you know, like the room or or the the true case of Silence of the lambs. Yes, exactly, exactly. And so it's just fascinating because this man is, I mean, everybody in the community looks up to him, they love him, but something happens where... His wife has died, and so his in-laws are kicking them off of the family, like, large estate, and he has to move. But then he has a problem with, well, what does he do with Rachel? And Rachel is not her name, but he keeps telling her, your name is Rachel. Your name is what, Rachel? She's the one in the shed? She's the one in the shed. Oh, my gosh. And she convinces him to take her with him and let her live in the house. So he moves her into the house and tells his daughter that she's a friend from wherever and that she is renting a room from them. Oh my gosh. And so she becomes this quiet tenant. Are we talking about like Stockholm syndrome here or no don't give anything away. Right, but I mean he he really is convinced that she is brainwashed enough to never leave. Oh, on but her we own. don't know that that's We don't the know case. that for sure. Okay. But, but it felt a little like a thousand and one Arabian Nights because it, it you know just as Shahrazad was able to postpone her execution every night by telling her husband a story. Uh-huh. Rachel, quote unquote Rachel, was able to keep herself alive by talking, oh, by convincing wow. him to take her, take him with her. And even in the beginning, we, when we, well, like in the middle, when we realized why he didn't kill her, it had this, you know, she was able to talk him out of it type thing. Wow. So, yeah, it was, a, it was an interesting read and well written. I, I really have to say this. And especially given the fact that Clemence Michelin, she was raised in Paris, went to university in London, and now lives in New York English is not her first language. But she wrote it in English. She wrote it in English. Wow. God, people amaze me. I know. (laughs) I know. This is definitely, uh, that sounds like a great summer read, too. Absolutely. So, yeah, it's it's called The Quiet Tenant by Clemence Michelin. All right. And I like hearing you say that. Thank you. Clemence Michelin.
my French is paying off. <laughs> yeah, it is. All right. Well, my next one is was just kind of a random audio pick for me. It's Yerba Buena by Nina LaCour. Now, Nina LaCour is a well-known and award-winning YA novelist. Uh, some of her previous books are We Are Okay and You Know Me Well. I hadn't read her before at all. I will just be honest and say I was attracted to the cover of this book, the title of this book, and the fact that it was fairly short. Oh, there you go. (laughs) So that was the trifecta for me. And I ended up being really, really glad I listened to it. So this is another LGBTQ sort of love story, but it's so much more than that. Uh, Yerba Buena refers to it's kind of a mint that grows in California. It's sometimes used in tea. But it is also the name of a restaurant in this part of California where this is set. Uh, So it focuses on two women, Sarah and Emily. Uh, Sarah runs away from home at 16 after just some very traumatic episodes. She runs away and tries to make a life of her own. She leaves behind a brother. They were very close, but he just is in no position to go with her. So that sets up, you know, what's going to be a difficult transition for her. She becomes a bartender, actually, at this restaurant, Yerba Buena. So Emily is the other main character, and she is sort of in this holding pattern in college. She has had any number, declared any number of majors and not finished any. You know, she's like three hours away from about six different degrees, but she just doesn't know what she wants to do with her life. Her parents give her a hard time about that. She ends up arranging flowers in this particular restaurant where Sarah is working and they catch sight of each other. It's a fantastic story just about two souls finding each other, loving each other, despite and also because of their difficult histories. It goes back and forth through time. One thing I will say that bothered me a little bit about this novel, it's something that bothers me quite often in novels, and that is just miscommunications. Mm. Like where if someone would just say what's on their mind, you know, the next three chapters would be moot. You know what I mean? Like I'm not going to give too much away, but there are these plot points where the two women, you know, just aren't honest with each other. I guess that's a lesson in itself because that does happen in real life. Right. It's so frustrating as a reader, though. It's just like, tell her what's really happening, you know, those sorts of of moments. So that was a little frustrating. Um, But on the whole, just a, a wonderful, gorgeously written novel. I really loved it. Definitely an adult novel. Like I said, this is a, an adult novel from a YA novelist, so uh, be aware of that. So that is Yerba Buena by Nina LaCour. Okay. You know, you were just talking about how what frustrates you probably is really indicative of what happens in real life yes. if you think about it. And I have a it's reminding me of something in my next novel that I'm going to talk about, The Rachel Incident by oh. Caroline O'Donohue. And yes, we've been talking about this since since like late 2022 if yeah. I remember right. It's, it's a, the the hype is the hype is big and real. Well, for me it's a date that finally showed up. I visited with Caroline O'Donohue last week. Um, her book just came out 2 days ago. So okay. that interview is out there. But the Rachel incident, it's set in Cork, Ireland. It's about um, a woman named Rachel, and that truly is her name. And um, <laughs> Yeah, not, not like the, the pseudonym for the prisoner and in the her, backyard. Yeah, exactly. And her best friend, James. And what's funny is this is the part that happens in real life, is that her best friend's name is James Devlin, 
But then when she meets this guy, like like outside of a bar, like bumming a smoke or something, she says, "What's your name?" And he says, "James." And she said, "I've already got one of those." <laughs> so she calls him. She calls him Carrie because that's oh. his last name. But what was funny was she said, "I loved and you know growing up and I like there were two Shawns in my class. There was Sean W and there was Sean yes so Beth, Beth G. Yes, exactly. So th- I mean, it made sense. And you don't really see a lot of that in novels where. I mean, right. people have the same name all the time. Right, <laughs> but right. But instead, they just choose a different name. But in name. novels, they don't have to. <laughs> right. That so, is funny. Yeah. So anyway, this, the Rachel incident, it's a retrospective of sorts. It's She's in her 30s. Rachel is in her 30s. But she's recalling her, her 20s growing oh, up. how cool. Or coming of yeah. age or making their way in Ireland in the 2010s because it was very conservative. Abortion plays a big role in this. Um, when we first meet Rachel, it's at a Christmas party in London for expats where she is currently working. And somebody says something to her about Dr. Byrne. And she said, what? And he said, well, I don't know if you've heard about Dr. Byrne. He's in a coma. Because this guy, like everybody else at the university where she was at and just everybody else in her life, thought she was having – she was a student having an affair with her professor, which is so cliche. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Also. Anyway, mm-hmm. so then after that, I mean, we read this novel. We're introduced to this novel with Rachel, knowing she is married and pregnant and knowing she's fine. And then we get to go back and see what actually happened. Oh. So it's kind of nice knowing ahead of time that she's okay. <laughs> yeah, I do like that. Yeah, yeah Everything's going to work out. You know, this right. – I've heard so many – uh, comps to Sally Rooney. Yes. Novel. Uh, yes. And people would say Sally Rooney, but funny. And <laughs> I do want to talk a little bit about that, too, because so I started the book, you know, back six, eight months ago when I just had an e-galley. So I was reading it on my iPad and I remember making it like 93 pages before, like in one night before mm-hmm. I had to stop and then read something else. And I never did get back to it until, you know, the interview was confirmed. Until you had a deadline. <laughs> until I had a deadline. And at that point, then, I had the audio available. So I would go back and forth between the two. I was telling Caroline O'Donohue that it almost felt like a different book when I was listening to it because I had the benefit of the Irish accent in your ear and the benefit of timing and cadence and tone. And it was very funny reading it. But I told her if I was reading words on a page, I would find myself smiling. If I were listening to it, I would find myself laughing out loud. So there was a little bit of a oh, difference. Wow, yes, definitely. And she explained that, you know, back home, she loves going back home because nobody will ever, I mean, they try to top each other with even just describing the weather. Nobody <laughs> will just say anything plainly. They have to put some Irish on it, I guess. I don't know. Oh, it, I, I, I tell you what, we talked about it in March, but Ireland is having uh, a renaissance in, in contemporary fiction and on TV and everywhere else. There's mm-hmm. a TikTok a woman I follow that is just, that I basically follow just to hear her talk. <laughs> <laughs> but she'll talk about like why we call things what we do, or mm-hmm. here's how we say this or that. Um, I, I bet that the audiobook is is yeah a good move on this one, it yeah, sounds like. Fun. Um, okay. Yeah, so that's The Rachel Incident by Caroline O'Donohue, yeah. finally. <laughs> finally, because you heard about it from Jenny Jackson. I the heard about of... it from Jason Gobble. Okay, but then Jenny Jackson raved about it. She's she the was author the editor. Of, of Pineapple Street. Right. right, and she wrote a letter in the beginning of The Galley where she describes reading this at Thanksgiving and like, 
interrupting so many of her colleagues' Thanksgiving dinners and her bosses to talk to them about how they needed to publish this book. Oh, well, that is so telling, <laughs> isn't it? Like, yeah. I, I know it's Thanksgiving and right. I'm tearing you away from a turkey <laughs> dinner, but I, you, I have to tell you. Yeah, because that it's been yeah raved about. The Sally Rooney connection is going to intrigue a lot of people, I think. Sally Rooney, of course, um, author of Normal People and Conversations with Friends mm-hmm. and more. And more. Um, but yeah, that's that's... Definitely, again, on my list. It's going to be another uh, Beth made me do it. As they all should. (laughs) Okay, well, my next read is Yellow Face by R.F. Kuang. Talk about hype. Mm. This one was an Indie Next pick for June. It is from R.F. Kuang, the author of Babel and the Poppy War. I had been hearing also about this one for ages because... It is just a cutting critique of the publishing industry itself. It is the story of June Hayward and Athena Liu. So they are, you wouldn't even say friends. They're just acquaintances. June and Athena are up-and-coming writers. Athena is much more successful than June is. She has had a couple of successful novels under her belt. There's a lot of buzz about her. June had a very mediocre first novel that you know she's like still getting pennies of royalties from and at the very beginning of the novel june and athena are having dinner there is a uh, let's just say a freak accident and athena dies and she had just minutes before shown june her masterwork that had just been completed the first draft of it so no one had seen it no one apparently knows what she had been working on You see where this is Mm -hmm. going. June takes that and runs with it, really believes at the beginning. You know, I I told uh, folks in our Read ICT Challenge group that this is a great selection for the category told from a villain's point of view because this is all first person from June's point of view. She takes Athena's work, reworks it, adds her own research, and has it published under her name. Now... This is where it really gets interesting because then the publishing industry goes into full how do we market this mm-hmm. mode and June Hayward becomes Juniper Song, Juniper being her formal first name, Song being her middle name. I should say that Athena is Asian and this book was written about Chinese uh, laborers in World War One that turned the war around. So it's this sort of forgotten history of this particular Asian group. And so the headshot that June uh, has for the new novel is a little bit where she's looking down a little bit and the sun is hitting her just right. And the book's title is called Yellow Face. (laughs) So this speaks to just racism, inequity, all that whole um, own voices thing happening in publishing. We remember the American Dirt Mm-hmm. controversy, so many others where it really talks about who can tell what stories in the end. But, you know, there's a there's sort of a, almost a thriller mystery kind of when will she be found out storyline going through the whole novel. So we have that. But it's set on this backdrop of how the publishing industry really works. And you get the feeling that R.F. Kuang is really telling some secrets here. Mm-hmm. She, you know, talks about everything from Goodreads reviews to how awards work and blurbs and all those little things that we just sort of see and don't really think about what goes into those. So that is, it was a fantastic novel worth all the buzz, I think. It's Yellow Face by R.F. Kuang. All right, so my next book is actually a a juvenile picture book. It's called I Think, I Think a Lot by (laughs) Jessica Whipple, and it's illustrated by Jose Bissayon. And so this picture book 
for Children is about a little girl with obsessive compulsive disorder, and it's written from her perspective. So through her, we get to understand her anxiety. We understand through fantastic illustration, you know, how thoughts sometimes can't leave you alone. But we also learn empathy and understanding and acceptance. And, you know, I've read a lot of juvenile picture books mm-hmm. as a mom, yeah, as a bookseller. Sure. And it it is nice when there are some themes attached that can be helpful to young readers. Because this is it's classified as juvenile fiction and, you know, slash neurodiversity. And it's targeted for ages 5 to 10. But I have to tell you, I am not between ages 5 and 10, yet I felt seen as I read it. Wow. So, yeah. And it is essentially a picture book. It's a picture book, not a chapter book. It is a picture book. Oh, wow. Yeah. I love that authors and illustrators are tackling those neurodivergent sort of topics. We are seeing characters, because we know that what's important to kids reading certainly to anyone really, is to see a reflection of themselves sometimes in literature. So an OCD kid, not a lot of books about that. That's right. Oh, my God, I love it. Yeah, so it's I Think I Think a Lot by Jessica Whipple, illustrated by Jose Bisayon. What a great title, too. I know. (laughs) I think I think a lot. You know, I'm going to write a children's book one day, and it's going to be titled I Sneeze in Threes. And you should have Celia Hat co-author. I know. I sneeze silently and by the dozen. <laughs> For real. That, that'll be part of the audiobook. Different sneeze styles. Okay, I think so I'm on to something tell here. Me about, so tell me about this book. Well, no, I, I just, I, because I do very truthfully sneeze three times usually. Like if you hear me sneeze twice, just wait a minute because, or a second because I will sneeze again. Yeah. And at one point I just said, I just told somebody, I I sneeze in threes, and it just had this sort of <laughs> Dr. Seussian sound to, to it. it. <laughs> yeah, and I thought, I'm going to write that book someday. As you should. <laughs> All right, so my next book is Pew by Catherine Lacey. Okay. This was on my summer stack, which we'll talk a little bit about later. But, yeah, Pew was a recommendation from our friend Kristen at Exile in Bookville in Chicago. I had no idea what it was about, none, when I picked it up. And it was just this charming-looking little book. It's very short. It's essentially a fable and the setup is pretty simple it opens with a church service and there's a person sleeping in the pew Hmm. and that person doesn't say anything throughout most of the book actually the people in that church don't know whether the person is male or female and they don't know what race the person is this person is androgynous and kind of colorless raceless a mystery in every way. And essentially, the story explores the discomfort that people have with that, Hmm. with not being able to classify this person. Of course, the churchgoers' first inclination is to help this person because they are, you know, dirty and hungry and obviously needing shelter. So they take the person in, but immediately we begin to hear rumblings of, we need to know more about them. I mean, I don't even know whether it's safe to have them around my sons. You know, is she a girl or is he a boy? And then there's the whole race stuff going on too. It is fascinating. We see this community talking with one another, not knowing what to do with this person and and really evolving from generosity to 
skepticism to outright, you know, rebuke. And throughout the whole story, we also, in the background, we know about this ceremony coming up. So it's told in the course of a week. Hmm. So Pew is found. Oh, and they call the person Pew because they don't know his or her name. And they're not saying anything. So they just call the person Pew because that's where they were found. So it all leads up to this kind of mysterious ceremony that's going to happen on Saturday. And it has, to me, um, it, it definitely had hints of Shirley Jackson's mm-hmm. The Lottery, where we, what is going to happen here? I'm not going to give too much away because part of the charm of this book is how it unfolds. It, it was a very, grat- I'll just say a very gratifying ending. I was not like throwing the book across the room <laughs> because I, you know, we don't, but there, it, it leaves you with a lot of questions and a lot to talk about. And I can absolutely see why Kristen likes this book and why I think I may have, you know, heard of people reading it and just immediately wanting to talk to someone about it because there's so many issues. It would be a really, really great book club book or book for a class, I imagine. And that is Pew by Catherine Lacey. Okay. And Catherine Lacey has a new book out that's supposed to be equally fantastic, much different, called The Biography of X. And we both have it. Yes, we own it. (laughs) (laughs) Ding, ding. Uh, But yeah, if if it's anything like Pew, I I really, it was a, oh, and I will say too, it was a one day read. Okay. Almost basically one sitting. So those are, are really nice to have in your in your summer canon. Yeah, <laughs> summer canon. I don't know. Uh, my last book is exactly one of those books. Oh, yay. It is. I like our segues today. Yes, me too. It is The Pole by J.M. Kutzia. And he first arrived on my radar when he was awarded the Nobel Prize in Literature in 2003. For my world literature class, I read his book titled Foe, which was a retelling of Daniel Defoe's Robinson Crusoe. You know, some of his better-known works are Disgrace, Youth, Summertime. James Mustick from A Thousand Books to Read Before You Die suggests that we read Life and Times of Michael Kay. Now, I haven't read all of his works, but I truly appreciate those that I have. And the poll is no exception. It's the story of a Polish pianist. Okay, so poll, I, I want to yes. be, be clear. It's poll, P-O-L-E. The okay, poll, gotcha. P-O-L-E. And it's the story of a Polish pianist with so many W's and Z's in his name that everybody just simply refers to him as the poll. <laughs> he is known for his interpretation of his fellow countryman, Chopin, and he is invited to perform in Barcelona. Now, it is in Barcelona where he meets Beatriz, where he just becomes enamored with her. She doesn't exactly reciprocate the sentiment at first. I mean, she's married in her 40s, two grown sons. The pole is in his 70s. And, you know, for the most part, we we only learn this story from her perspective. Um, You know, there's, there's a language barrier of sorts. And she also doesn't like the way he interprets Chopin. So, wow. <laughs> so there's that. I think that's where I stop with plot. I don't really want to say any more yes. about the plot. Wise. Because, you know, it's just something the reader should experience. I will say that there are echoes of Dante and his Beatrice in this book. And as I said, it's it's a short read. It's only it's 170 pages, but there are very wide margins. Uh-huh. And like at the beginning, it's like every paragraph has a large number in front wow, of it. It's yeah. the structure, the the physical 
optical structure is unique. A lot of white space. A lot of white space. It can be read in, in an evening, one mm-hmm. or two settings if you want to take your time. And the ending for me was quite satisfying. I think for some people, they'll probably hate it. Yeah, same. <laughs> I wanted to say that about Pew, too. It, it's, it, <laughs> I guess it depends on what you want in an ending, doesn't exactly. it? Exactly. And what I loved about this is I, I couldn't sleep two nights ago, so I got up and I thought, what should I read? I was at a point where I did not have an author interview waiting for me. I did not have a book that I had to read. So I got to just select one. And this doesn't come out until September. Wow. Oh, so that you're reading in advance. I'm reading it in advance. Okay. It, so it put it on your calendar. Yeah. And I have no interview scheduled with J.M. Kutzia. Although, you know, if his publishers are listening and would like to schedule one, I could I could interview my third Nobel laureate. That yes. would be fine with me. And it would be a very intelligent <laughs> interview because you have read the book. But so it sounds like a real thinker, though, even though it's a small... Uh, we need to do that. You know, we need to have a show one time where we just talk about good uh, one-sitting books. It It kind of... I don't know why, but, you know, it reminded me of the feeling I had when I read Mothering Sunday. Uh-huh. Another great one. Yeah. yeah. So. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Right. So that's The Poll by J.M. Kutzia. All right. And my last one is Little Monsters by Adrian Brodeur. So the author Adrian Brodeur's last book was a memoir called Wild Game about her growing up on Cape Cod and the sort of dysfunctional it was kind of a dysfunctional family uh, memoir, you know, the genre. <laughs> uh, this is is a novel, and it's also a dysfunctional family novel. But, you know, I, I love that genre. So Little Monsters is set on Cape Cod. It's the story of the Gardner family. And as the novel opens, the patriarch of this family, Adam, is approaching his 70th birthday. He's turning 70. We know that um, he has struggled with bipolar disorder, has maintained sort of normalcy through medication, but he decides coming up to his 70th birthday that he's going to go off the meds so he can unleash his brain power to focus on his, his scientific, a scientific discovery, mm-hmm. and that that is talking to whales. He thinks he can speak to whales. So we've got, this is the setup for the novel. Then we learn about um, Adam's uh, adult children, Ken and Abby, they both have issues. Uh, Ken is a very arrogant uh, character who has political ambitions. Abby is an uh, an artist who uh, I'm not going. I don't want to give too much away about the plot because it really is fantastic in the way it unfolds and it leads up to the climax being that 70th birthday party. So there's a lot going on in this novel. There's a ton of twists and turns. There are relationships that are strained and repaired and a lot, again, of miscommunications of people not saying what's really on their minds and and other people interpreting what they're doing wrongly. Uh, There's also serious family trauma that's both hinted, it's hinted at, and then we learn more about it toward the end. I have to say that one of the best things about this novel was the setting and the cover if, if just go online and look at the cover of Little Monsters, gorgeous. It's a seaside, almost watercolor painting. And it's just the descriptions of the dunes and Provincetown. And I've never been to that part of the country, but I am familiar with the beach, having grown up in the <laughs> Carolinas. And it just made me yearn for 
a trip to the ocean. I just wanted to smell it and hear it. And you could, and it was so vivid in this novel. So it is an absolutely perfect summer read, I have to say. Um, So if you like books like The Latecomer and, oh, any number of dysfunctional family dramas that I've talked about in the past few months, this is one to add to your list. It's called Little Monsters by Adrian Brodeur. Okay. Yeah. Speaking of great summer reads. Yes. Good segue. Yeah. Um, uh, how are you doing on your summer of Saunders? Well, I'm... I'm we, should, we should remind listeners who might not have heard the last episode um, that Beth wanted to dig into George Saunders this summer. Yes. Yeah. I want to read his book of stories, 10th of December. Mm-hmm. I want to read his novel, Lincoln and the Bardo. And I want to read A Swim in a Pond in the Rain, in which four Russians give a master class on writing, reading, and life by George Saunders. <laughs> and so it's basically the Russian literature class he teaches at Syracuse, but uh-huh. he's put it in book form. And so, it's like the, the perfect Beth, Beth Galay book. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. Yes. And so I have made progress. I mean, I've started, which is for me, that's progress. Yeah, absolutely. You uh, picked it up. You yeah, opened the cover. I still need to get a physical copy of Lincoln and the Bardo. I do have oh, I may access. Have it. I, yes, let me get that okay. for you. I, yes, I have it. I have access to the um, the audio, which it's it, the audio was recommended to me by two different people because it has such a, an ensemble cast of characters, David Sedaris and yes. Nick Offerman. But I started listening to it, and I'm like, what's going on? So I, I think believe. I need to do simultaneous for that. I think that one in Audi, actually, that oh, really? year. But uh, yes, I think the perfect way to t- – and I only read it. I did not hear the listen to the audio. But the structure is so unusual because you know how you'll see a quote in an epigraph, the quote, and then who said it? Mm-hmm. That's the way this book is written. So it's who said it, and then we find out who was talking. And it's very odd. Mm-hmm. Um, but it would be great to have the – printed copy as you're listening to it and that's how I plan to um to consume a swim in a swim in a <laughs> pond in the rain as well because George Saunders narrates that so it's like he's teaching class oh, to wow. me in my ear and on the page oh so. my gosh so you get you go from this ensemble cast of Hollywood stars to the author right <laughs> wow I am I'm, I'm very proud of you because you have you usually you're only reading stuff that you have to read. I know, and it's That's nice the benefit to have that of freedom. French class instead of a literature class. That's right. I mean, you still have stuff to read for marginalia, but right. yeah, now it's a little the the burden is a little less. That's I'm so right. excited to hear how you and I will get that copy of Lincoln and the Bardo for Thank you. you. Um, I'm attacking my stack of books too. You know, I I did not have a similar theme to my summer reading TBR other than they were just books that caught my eye as I was <laughs> thinking about summer reading. And one of them was The Family Fang right. by um, Kevin Wilson, because I love Kevin Wilson's last two novels, Nothing to See Here and Now is Not the Time to Panic. I went back to his backlist, read The Family Fang. Let me just tell you, oh my gosh, it was so delightful because there are hints to both future novels oh, in this I love book, that. Easter egg, like beyond Easter eggs. I'm not going to, I'm just not going to give anything away because if you haven't, it was the perfect little, I was just like, oh, 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 as I was reading like and making notes in the margin, like that is, that immediately refers to now is not the time to panic. But okay. So, you, but you had to go back and read that. Yes. Do you think you experienced it Differently. Differently, just yes. because you already knew the foreshadowing that was going to take Absolutely. place? Absolutely, because yeah. had I read that when it was published, I wouldn't know that this reference to this particular character or this particular 
storyline was going to be a whole novel in his future. But now that I had, it was the perfect way to read it, actually. Yeah. And I, it's, yeah, it's a different experience. I never will have the experience of reading The Family Fang not having that knowledge. Exactly. That's the way I felt when I watched Bosch, uh-huh. you know, the, the uh, Michael Connolly right? series. Watched it the first time, went back and watched it all over again. And that there were so many Easter eggs given that we just weren't aware. Like in, in season two, you see like the Korean town killer riding around yes. on his bicycle. And you're like, wait a second, that's not until season four. And he was in season two already. I mean, it was just so much fun to go back and realize everything that you had missed. And this is why we why rereading books is not a waste of time. That's true. I need to start doing that. And, but I, I highly recommend exploring an author's backlist because you never know. You know, they're always thinking about what's next. And there were such clear, I'll, uh, you know, I'll talk offline with okay. you about what those were, because <laughs> I don't want to give away spoilers. But I was just reading and going and, and showing my husband like, oh, my gosh, he had because he had read both of the other books as well. And I was like, look, it's like a hint to, you know, nothing to see here. And anyway, it was fantastic. Well, and um, Amor Tolls. Ha, always has a reference to one of his other books. Yes. And, and I his, love authors that write in this sort of universe. Th- yes, but they are just, they're, they're set in such different times and circumstances. You would think, how could we possibly have a tie-in? Yet he does. Right. Yeah. Well, I, like you, was just glad to have actually read <laughs> one of the books on my summer TBR. So ding, I've, ding, ding. Yes, we are going going well with our summer reads. Well, that sounds like a great place to stop. Absolutely. It's been wonderful talking about books with you again, Beth. Right back at you. Until next time. Keep turning those pages. Bye. Bye. Books and Whatnot is a production of KMUW Wichita. Our team of engineers, producers, editors, and hosts are Mark Statzer, Torin Anderson, Haley Krausen, Jonathan Huber, Luann Stevens, Carly Cooper, Beth Golay, and Suzanne Perez. You can reach us by email sent to podcasts at kmuw.org, on Twitter at Books and Whatnot, and on Instagram, books underscore and underscore whatnot. Find more conversations and a list of books discussed in this episode at kmuw.org. Think there's nothing interesting in Kansas? Think again. There are amazing things to discover, like a thriving arts center tucked into the Flint Hills miles from anywhere, and an underground speakeasy where you need a password. Want to know more? Listen to Hidden Kansas every month from KMUW, part of the NPR Podcast Network.